I would just say there's one misperception of our veterans, and that is they are somehow damaged goods. Although if we tell our veterans enough that this is what's wrong with them, they may actually start believing it. Welcome to Dead Reckoning Radio. Dan Charlton joins us on this episode. We talk about his transition from the Navy to starting his own podcast, Homeward Bound, along with his clothing line, Boondocker Supply Company. Dan switched scripts a little and asked us about our rebranding and tensions with Dead Reckoning Collective. Enjoy. Hey, Daniel. How's it going, man? What's up, dude? How's it going? Oh, not too bad. So we'll, uh, we'll get started. We'll, uh, we'll open the floor to you, and you can kind of give everybody a little, little glimpse into your life, what's, what's happened before, what you're doing now. Sweet. How you got there. Okay, cool. So the floor is now open for me. Um, I want to start by saying this is kind of fucking cool that I don't have to worry about, like, all the normal tropes that come along with podcasting. Like, I didn't have to develop this show. I can just come on and talk, and it's... It's different, it's weird, but it's fun. So um, for anyone who hasn't been privy to my show, which hopefully a lot of the same people that listen to your show listen to my show, but uh, my name is Dan. I'm a, what, part-time, most-time podcaster on like 15 bajillion other podcasts, but I did some time in the Navy. I joined like back in 2008 as what people in the Navy would call a damage controlman. So basically I sat around and did nothing for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it was That's pretty much everybody's I, job. That's yeah. And the Navy. enlisted. <laughs> yeah. Well, the <laughs> so the, the thing is you actually, you develop a successful habit of binge drinking over your first, you know, two to three years. Then you move on to more professional things like avoiding jail time, um, pissing off a chief, professional shamming, all that good stuff. Professional shamming. So I, I actually did really well at all of those things. So what ended up happening was they promoted me really fast. Uh, so I actually I ended up leaving as an E6, had a whole lot of fun, did a whole lot of shit that I never thought I would be able to do, and. You know, the the catalyst that actually made me leave back in 2014, my, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. We went through that whole shit. That was like our first year we were married, too. So that was that was fun. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a lot to go through. Yeah, you guys, you guys had a tough go. It's, it's, it's funny, though, that, like, the way you carry yourself and the way, like, your, your family carries themselves, like, well, I mean the kids whatever but, <laughs> i mean you you and your wife you know what i mean kids are resilient but like the way you and your wife go about life like it's it's like nothing ever happened so oh dude it, it's so crazy good good to see you guys where you're at yeah and i mean and you know we're we still work on us every day and and we work on you know the little family you know it was it was actually pretty crazy that first year we didn't even think we would ever be able to have kids just because of the nature of whatever she was going through, the doctors kept on telling us like she wouldn't have any kids. She wouldn't have any kids. So like much to our surprise, like she finished chemo in July of that year. So October was when we found out, you know, she was pregnant with our first one. And I was like, Holy fuck. So like the first thing I did was call up the doctor and be like, you are such a fucking liar. <laughs> like I didn't prepare for this like monetarily. Uh, I don't know what being a dad is. It was it was crazy, but it was fun. But when we were going through all that, I I made her a promise. I was like, you know, we, we've done all this shit that that's super safe. Like staying in the military in general is a safe practice. Yes or no? <coughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we did all these safe things, and we were like, yeah, you know, this is cool. I get a, a steady paycheck. I get to do all this shit. But 
it's not really what I want to do at all. So that led us into a whole mess of other shit where we just ended up saying, you know what, for us, we want to travel, we want to explore, we want to do all these other things, but I don't want to be tied to a ship. I don't want to be tied to a command. I don't want to have my soul sucked out through my face in that, in that moment. And like, you know, the tears were streaming, the, the lifetime movie was on in the kitchen and we were just like, you know what, let's, let's just make the plunge. Let's, let's separate. Let's try something new. That was probably at the beginning of 16. I ended up getting out in November of last year. So I had a bit of time where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get out. So how the fuck do you get out? And I had no idea what transition was. I had no no idea what I had to do or who I had to talk to or how I was going to equate my 10 years of experience to something in the civilian sector, which, by the way, I didn't equate any of it to anything in the civilian sector, just to spoil that story in advance. So what I ended up doing was I went to a couple of these conferences hosted by veterans talking about transition and shit like that. And that kind of got the ball rolling for me, but I was like, look, all these people have done it and been successful. So how can I, how can I take that on? Like, how can I onboard all of that information that they learned over their fucking 10 years of transition? That was just brutal. And how can I, you know, whittle down all those things that I have to do? And I was like, well, I never shut the fuck up, so I should probably use that to my advantage. So I ended up starting a podcast. And I started talking to people who had transitioned and been successful. Most of the time, it's talking to CEOs of companies because those are the flashy people. That And it just it morphed into this huge fucking thing, like, I never thought that Homeward Bound would, would get as far as it did or or it would afford me the opportunity to talk to as many people as I have and continue to talk to. Actually, without that podcast, I would have never talked to you guys. You guys would have never talked to me, and I would have probably stayed in the Navy. So here, here we, we are. No, I can here completely relate about the whole staying in being safe. I <laughs> I only signed for, right? I was only in for four years. So I signed my four-year contract right off the bat and i told myself when i was joining i was like all right that's kind of the plan do my four years get out but i'll stay in if the opportunities come and my heart's in it and i want to see where it takes me you know but i'm not staying in just for the simple fact of staying in because i'm afraid of getting out and i was having a successful yeah. career like i i was on the brink of getting another promotion and things going all in the right direction and i was just like it's safe and I don't have to worry about everything else, but is, am I really happy? And all those other questions that you asked when you're about to get out, and the answers were no. And I was like, I'm ready to go back home, have control of my life, yeah. and see see what happens. Ah, uh, dude, going going home is a whole whole another story. And I know I know Keith, you you and I talked about it, yeah. and what a huge fucking mistake it is. Uh, so you're back in Texas um, now? Is that where you're originally from? Okay. Oh fuck no. No, I'm actually I'm from right. Virginia. Um I enlisted in well, I'm from Roanoke, Virginia, which is over in the mountains and you know, just a, a small little town. And I enlisted, I went to boot camp, went to training, and then they sent me to Guam for three years. Ooh, and then rough. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there getting fucked over, uh, living my island life, drinking Mai Tais and shit. But you know, it's never that fun. We got to the point there where, where I was I was starting to miss home a lot. So my next duty station was in Norfolk. So I went to like the most 
from the most relaxed standards that you can possibly have to like a four-star admiral up my ass every day. So after I separated, I just, I didn't know which way was up anymore. I was like, let's try and go back Mm. home, which is a huge, huge mistake on my part. And I don't, I don't know, Keith, did you want to talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. We did talk about that. Like, um, sweet. Cause you know, that it's, it's part of Part of what I think is interesting about your story too, is that like you, you know, you realize that you made a mistake and you corrected it, but like at, at great cost and risk to, to you and your family, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I like that you say cost first because yes, it is great cost. Well, I mean, not even necessarily like, you know, monetary cost. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but just uprooting your family again after, you know, something like you transitioning out of the military and you know, all that. So yeah, it's a good I think it's a good way to say, like, no matter how many people you talk to about transition or or no matter how many podcast episodes you do or how many hours of listening to people talk about it you have under your belt, you're still going to make mistakes. And that's Mm. okay. I live a life that's full of mistakes, and I pay for those quite dearly, either in uprooting families or shelling out thousands upon thousands of dollars to – you know, uproot and move somewhere else. Well, well this one was kind of lucky because the company I, I work for now is pretty cool with it. So, but I, I, I so remember this playing back in my head so much differently, but before I left Hampton roads and moved back home, I did a podcast uh, with Matt DeMeo from condition one nutrition. And we, we spent an hour, we like poured our hearts out to each other And at the very end, he was like, the biggest mistake I can ever tell you that most people make is that they go back home. Because when you go back home, you're around all those same people you left however long ago, and they're still doing the same shit, even though they might make it sound like their life's so much better. It's literally the same, just in a different facade or so it's sometimes sorry to cut you off like yeah yeah you're good sometimes it's not that they're doing the same shit or they're up to no good or whatever but they've also their life has moved at a drastically different pace Mm -hmm. than yours right you 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 may have done a whole bunch of shit or they may have done a lot more than you but regardless like you are different people um, oh, yeah. you know, the, the, um, the, the things that you've put on your resume at the tempo you've put them on are going to be very different from, from your friends that graduated high school and went to college and, you know, did an internship and then, you know, started at this firm or whatever, like they're, they're going to be different. Um, same with any kind of blue collar where it doesn't, doesn't matter what their path was, but like your lives are going to be different. Um, oh, fuck yeah. And the the weird thing about that is that we tend to you know as a society we tend to compare ourselves Mm -hmm. to people um and kind of stack each other up which is dangerous when you're looking at someone and you're like why why isn't it like that for me it's not gonna be you know you have you have a different set of circumstances but you also have like you know you know now a whole bunch of other tools available to you that other people don't like you know a whole degree's worth of tuition <laughs> and housing allowance without any student debt. Yeah. So, and, and I, I think you made a very interesting point there about 
life experiences. Uh, and this is something I experienced when I went back. I, I probably only hang, hang out still with like maybe two people I graduated with, but there were quite a few times in like that four month stretch I was living at, at home that I ran into people that I went to high school with and they were the, in this instance, they were actually working the same waitressing job or doing the same job at Kroger. And it was crazy to me because in 10 years I joined when I was 17, I'm only 27 (laughs) now. So like, yeah. in the 10 years I was gone, I went from, you know, a fireman who didn't know shit about shit to, I ran a whole department. Well, at the time I left, I ran a whole ship worth of people, but at the most I was a manager, an operational manager for 120, 150 bodies at a time. These people can't even manage their way out of a paper bag because they've been doing the same shit. So it was, it was crazy to see that. And, you know, I just, I kept on thinking to myself and I, I would go home every night because the job I took, I was working seven days a week. So if you can imagine podcasting on top of, you know, seven days a week, 10 hours a day of work on top of, you know, trying to onboard a new podcast and then trying to build my clothing business, which we can talk and about And be a later. father and a husband. But, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Well, a new father. Like my, my youngest son had just been born in July of 17. So, oh yeah, I was still dealing with a newborn, a pretty much a fucking, not even a toddler yet, still a baby at one year old and, and doing all these things. And I still had an ambition that could run circles around some of the people that I had met and, and encountered since I had been back home. I was like, fuck this. I cannot even stay close to this. This is toxic as fuck. So I talked to my wife and, we were we were kind of scoping areas, and we decided on Dallas Fort Worth because the highest concentration of veterans in the United States resides in Texas. It's just it's simple science. But I chose Texas primarily because of the concentration of veterans in the area, and I knew I could get more in-person interviews down here because the one episode I did with Derek Questell up in Virginia was like my highest listened to episode number one because the audio quality number two it's it's different doing podcasts with a person in the room Mm. like with a body in the room it's a different feel and a different style i'm not knocking you guys i understand space limitations i understand constraints so trust me i feel you i mean for me it worked out that i was able to find a job down here they romanced me and flew me down interviewed the whole deal they paid to help me move and all this other shit. So it wasn't quite the big like financial burden that I had originally anticipated, but like it was still, it was scary. Like I've done cross country moves and cross the globe moves before, but bringing a whole family was pretty scary. And you know, my whole, my whole posse was, was down. Like my wife was stoked. Uh, my parents were less stoked because they didn't get to see the grandkids as much. But, I mean, it, it is what Part it is. It. And I think we're making the best of, of the situation we have. And uh, we're probably gearing up to keep on moving in this little fucking camper that we got. So yeah. it'll be crazy, but fun. Sounds cool. Well, you sure. mentioned your clothing line. Let's get into that a little bit. Ooh. Yeah, let's talk about Boondocker. Yeah. 
Yeah, so Boondocker. Um, it mostly came from the confidence that podcasting brought me personally. Like, I'd, I'd made some really good friends, especially the guys over at Snake Farm. Uh, Brent over at Softly, it's been a big influence on my life. And quite a few other people. And I realized that there was kind of this void in the in the veteran-owned space for motorcycle apparel. I, I, when I was active duty, I loved riding, and, and I, I enjoyed every chance I got to get out on my bike. Unfortunately, when my wife got sick, like, I had to sell the bike to pay for some stuff, but That's a man right it is there. what it is. And, dude, uh, the most heartbreaking <laughs> day of your life. I will tell you that right now. I, I realized that there was this void in the space, and I realized that I'm not fucking creative enough to make any drawings that people would want to wear. Must they like wearing like shitty stick figures on a like spoke peg bike? Never mind. Anyway, but I realized that I don't have that design capacity. But what I do have is the networking connections. I I have the ability to to fucking market shit. I have the ability to talk to people, and I realized that I I love wearing flannel to almost an unhealthy level. So especially in texas it's crazy right it's hot as fuck i still love wearing flannels but you know i i decided it was time to make a plunge into that market and i talked with my buddy marshall we were stationed on my last ship together and we were both first classes and you know we we would talk a lot about bikes and we really bonded over that and he just recently got out and moved back to cali and i was like dude i have this idea And he was down like from the first five second pitch. I was like, now here's the catch. I don't know how to fucking draw. He's like, that's okay. I used to draw all the time. I said, let's get married. And we did in business. So yeah, I put a ring on it. So we ended up doing it and we started this company called Boondocker Supply Co. And we just, right now we're, we're still building like, you both of you are intimately aware of Softly. So Softly had kind of this meteoric rise and it was pretty insane. They started in 2013. It was an actual like in-person gym and then it grew into this huge like fitness. I call it a fitness empire. Brent would tell me to fuck myself. Yes. This big fitness fuck company. Yourself. So yeah. So and we just, I didn't have the kind of capital to have that sort of meteoric rise. So we're really just, we're trying out this slow growth thing. We're, we're releasing, you know, a couple of shirts at a time. We're working on hats. We're doing everything slow, really kind of falling in love with the process of coming up with what, what we think customers would like, bouncing feedback off of that. I'm working with, um, I don't know if you guys know Oliver Peck, but uh, his company Cheap Thrills actually runs out of Anchor Screen Printing, which Oliver also owns. But we're going to try and work with them on on getting some hats done and, and shit like that. So it's it's a very slow growth thing, but I'm really falling in love with with the new style of networking that I'm doing. So and and Marshall's <laughs> kind of stuck up in school in Cali. He's going to be a lineman. So. That dude that you always see, like, working on the power lines, like, the really big ones, where it's like, man, that dude could get electrocuted and get blown back, like, 250 fucking feet. Like, that's going to be Marshall when he's mm. done. So, yeah, he's he's loving it. So it's interesting uh, yeah, how you talk on. about, like, the confidence building that you had with uh, 
the podcasting and now this networking and this marketing, and you're talking about it almost as like a craft. And we had Ian on last week. Uh, oh, dude, that dude was so awesome. I listened. Did I tell you I listened to all of those, all all of your episodes in oh, preparation? Huh, right for on, man. Cool. Perfect. Yeah, I do my yeah. homework sometimes. My, okay, I shouldn't say that. I don't really do homework that often, but when it's oh, my yeah. friends, I do homework. True. Oh, yeah. Well, going but but what, how he talks about the whole craft of uh, going to the range and all that stuff and talking to Leo about him with riding and the gym and all this stuff is, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a similar trend of being a craft, being an artwork. And when you put your time and effort and focus into one particular craft or skill, it seems like the common like reward from it is just confidence, you know? Yeah. Or doing something that you're not sure that you know how to do. And you just constantly build up on it, and then eventually, like, hey, I'm not bad at this at all. Oh, it's just dude. like a muscle, and so it's cool how you just the way you you present the the art or craft of podcasting and networking. Because I guess in some sense, this is really what it is as well. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate your methods. Of well, no, it's just, it's just uh, a, I mean, that sounds really how, how, how you described it all. It's cool, <laughs> and, and I just saw the similarities no, it, between it, how each one of the previous guests we've had on it. It just it sounded very similar, so it was kind of cool. It is a thing. I think it. I think for most people, yeah. it starts as a hobby, no matter what it is. Um, you can take, uh, like the dudes over at Black Rifle right now are really into bow hunting, and they all suck at bow hunting. And any podcast you listen mm-hmm. to, that's what they talk about. But uh, for them, it's going to start as something that they do as a hobby that they enjoy doing, and then they're going to get really fucking good at it. And that's they're just, just listening to Joe Rogan does. and Cameron Haynes a bunch right now, and. Wanting to be exactly men as well and go to Utah <laughs> and all that crap and shoot Under Armour videos. I like that you prefaced with want to be, and that that's exactly what it is. Um, I mean, we're it, just hating because we're not them. It's funny, and and I think that that is a common thread that you guys share with your guests. And since I'm a podcaster, I'm going to flip this back on you because you know, I mean, I can only do so much talking about me before I want to talk about somebody oh, else. Oh yeah. So yeah, so let's. I, I kind of want to talk to you guys about, you know, the beginnings of, of I I would say I want to start at the rebrand because I already talked about Black Coffee Response, which you guys yeah were we did we did the episode show. with you just yeah the rebrand exactly so now now's the perfect time to talk about the why behind what you're doing now getting back into podcasting because I know you guys did like one and a half episodes yeah. or something before but I want to start by saying any any good craft that you get into starts out as a hobby. And that's what it was for me. It, as much as I want to say it was an educational experience, it started out as a hobby because like, obviously I wanted to be there. I wanted to do it. And it slowly after people started seeking me out and wanting to, to do interviews, I was like, Holy fuck. I might, I might actually be sort of good at this. Then it, it kind of turned into, well, maybe I can help other people find themselves through podcasting, and maybe that will give me some type of gratification in that way because I definitely can't sustain my life off of this. So, uh, and it's just, it's been a fun process. So, but now I'm going to turn it back on you because I love asking questions. So, why did you guys do the rebrand? Well, I think the uh, first thing to kind of emphasize is we appreciate the slow process as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> dude, yeah. So I'll, I'll right? hand it over to Keith now, though. 
Yeah, no. So we the rebrand came um, after we met with uh, with Tommy and Steve from Recon Rings. Oh, I love Tommy. Such a and good. the the conversations that we had uh, that night um, kind of kind of just gave us a kick in the ass in terms of like, well, you know, like they weren't critical of what we were doing. They were just, they were just curious and, and really, um, really encouraging as far as like, you know, what, what we're capable of and, and stuff like well, yeah, that. The big so, thing was we were, we were telling them our ideas and they're like, Oh, these are awesome. And we're like, yeah, we know. And they're like, well, what are you doing to make them happen? And we're like, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, t- yeah, Tommy, Tommy is like a, you know, um, student, uh, entrepreneur, uh, nonprofit, Guru, extraordinary, and and Steve is a big marketing guy. So they both know they both have you know different experiences, a lot of a lot of experience between the two of them, but um, you know different. And so we keep telling him like, oh, you know, we're looking at doing this, and we we would like to do this, and this is ideally what we you know blah blah blah. And um, the the gaps. Steve is a very honest person. you know, Tom, Tommy was really encouraging, but Steve's, Steve's really honest. Like you can see stuff in his face when he talks to mm-hmm. you and, uh, the gaps in conversation when we said like, you know, well, we want to do this, um, before he would give us an answer and the, you know, there, there was nothing held back. Um, but I was just, every time he, he did that, I was like, yeah, we need to be doing more. Um, and we need to be doing it a little bit different. So, we got back to my house from Rochester, New York, uh, back to my place in Ontario and Tyler and I sat down with, um, a whole bunch of beers and we ran out of beers. We, uh, it was pretty late and we started drinking coffee and we knew that, uh, the black, like black coffee response, it wasn't going to work for a name anymore because black rifle coffee had grown exponentially since we had started what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, the the constant connections that people were making and the constant mistakes in identity, like, I was like, that's not going to work. Um, you know, yeah. when we started, they were not a household Mm-mm. name. <clears throat> and which is crazy because it was within a year. So, I mean, good for they them. They just doing they coffee. Grew, <laughs> Nothing else. They grew, they grew that fast, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can, you can attribute that to a whole bunch of things. You know, they're, they're, aggressive marketing um you know they're they're they, they don't pull that. releases yeah. no um and they know who they're targeting and you know they they do really really well so good for them um that aside we knew that the similarity in names um you know i.e our our names each being three words and two of the words being the same it wasn't going to yeah, work so- so we were talking so, about our, our idea of what do we want our company to be. And more than anything, it's always been promoting veteran success. Uh, and our little quote is misrepre- yeah, representing the misrepresented. You know, We just kept bouncing ideas back and forth. And then Keith came up with the gold line of dead reckoning, yeah. which was, if, if you are military, it should spark something within land nav. And it's just when you shoot like a back azimuth from where you're at, and you're looking back to the point that you know, and then you calculate where you are within that. And so, simply put, is based on based on how you know how far and how long you travel. Yeah. And so, 
I've always loved that term. Uh, I mean, I hated, I fucking hated land nav, but I, you know, the, the day I learned that term, I was like, Oh, that sounds, sounds really cool. And it's always kind of stuck in my head. And so it's a cool name. And, you know, the collective part of it is that we, we have more in mind for the brand than just, just blogging or just writing books or just podcasting. You know, it's, it's going to be, multiple things and it's going to be multiple parties involved we've always wanted to we've always um, wanted to be a kind of a, a central hub of some sorts a little bit of a networking aspect and yeah the publishing with the blogs the books the podcasts outreach programs the workshops like we have a lot of things in, in mind and in the works and obviously centralized the, around the veteran community going from one point in your life within the military to coming to where you want to be outside of it we just kind of want to help him within that transition yeah i love yeah. it uh it's it's funny uh and i think that that talks a lot number one about how we've run kind of in the same circles over the last year and a half or so that i think you guys did that interview with tommy maybe like three or four weeks after i did an interview with tommy and we we've we've bounced around a lot of the same circles i think when we met it was over the snake farm launch and that that ended up being kind of a, a a catalyst moment for both of us to you know talking more and and doing more stuff and that's been fun so and it i like the name i really love the rebrand that you guys have done i think it's more true to who you are again i'm i'm not going to knock black rifle or or any of the the veteran owned companies out there they've They've had great success, and I think that that's from knowing what their market base is and knowing how to appeal to it. And um, at first, it was probably to get the cheapest laugh at, at the least expense, and now they've they've gone and, and done some deeper stuff, and that's great for them. Um, I I have a, a fairly decent relationship with the the dude who runs all their marketing schemes, and he's a really good dude. Oh, I've always I've, so as much as I want to dog and hate on him for some of their videos and content. Anybody who's ever met any one of those guys usually has nothing but good things to say about them. So they just, they just found their niche, just like yeah. how your niche right now with Boondockers is, exactly. is the motorcycle clothing. You know, our niche in some sense is the counterculture, uh, kind of the thinkers, you know, the people who, who question their time in the military while being in there, yet appreciate their time in there as well. And, and kind of seeing the flaws within the system of some sort, you I know, and so... We, 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 we're finding our niches well, I, just like anyone. Exactly. And I, I think that that's healthy for anyone to do, and I don't think it's done enough anymore. Or people in positions of power within the military don't want you to do that as much because they feel like it detracts from the good order and discipline that you learned over time. But really it's healthy to have a questioning attitude in any, in, in in any sense because you – know? That, that, that's what fueled happens yeah, with the, and, the great thinkers, you know, and leaders. Right. You're challenging that sense of complacency that people gathered over the, the end of the Vietnam era, and you're really trying to cut off some of that dead, useless weight. I, I like to think that I spent 10 years of my life fighting an institutionalized <laughs> system designed to break down E6 and I remember, I remember a, a conversation and, I had with an E5 probably – like right when I was getting out, and I only got out as an E4, and me not getting promoted is a whole other ordeal, and I don't really care about it anymore because it literally affects me <laughs> none when you get out. 
But in the moment, you oh, get yeah. consumed I mean, by it. But well, this just blunt, honest E5 told me one time, he's like, you're not getting promoted and you're not getting all this stuff. He's like, because you grew up the wrong way in the military. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you talk to E5s, E6, E7s, like they're, like they're men instead of they're, they're sergeants. And I'm like, well, they are men first, you know. And he, he was telling me that I'm, I'm pretty much just not as structured and disciplined as they would want. And I'm like, well, for one, you're an infantry guy. I'm a medic. I, I'm a kind of we're, – we're on, we're on completely different spectrums, yeah, you, you know. Like as a 19-year-old E2, I was talking to first sergeants doing planes while I was in Afghanistan, you know. So it's just a completely different mindset. But you just go – when you go against the grain, there's, Dude, there's, there's just going to be people that don't like it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, like when I, was, when I was active, when I got to my second command, I was an E4. I was working at a two-star flag command. And I'd, I was in a position at the time – where I had to have regular meetings with O6s and above on the goings-on of the entire Atlantic fleet to a specific aspect of what my job was. And number one is an E4 that makes your dick swell, like, super huge. And it made my ego bigger than what it should have ever been. But over time, because I worked in an office with all E7 and above, E7 to E9 they really fucking chipped me down to, to where I was able to go in and out of the circles. That's how, that's how I made it. Honestly, dude, that's, that's how I made it as far as I did in the military with the attitude that I had and people to this day still have a fucking sore spot in their heart for me because I was either too honest or I was too big of a dick or, or whatever. But that entire time, I never fucking stopped questioning the norms or challenging those. And and I do that now still, even in civilian life. But what I find fascinating is I've run into so many people who do the same thing. And that's how you guys and I got onto the same page. So that'll, that'll kind of see that natural segue. You see how that just happened. So we're going to naturally segue into my next question. So in taking that new direction that you have with the, with the rebrand. So, what do you think your next, you know, two, three, four, five years are going to look like as a brand, you know, carrying out some of these things that you're trying to work towards? Well, the the business side of it is that uh, we want to make books cool again. Uh, you want to make books cool? So, like, in, in what way do you think you want to make books cool again? Well, instead of, you know, just every... Every every cool every guy that having, ever existed. having a co-author, um, you know, we want to we want to <laughs> give people um, the the opportunity to tell their stories, right? So Tyler's book is is pretty much done now. We need to we need to revisit some nice. stuff. Nice, um, dude. It's good been, job, dude. It's, it's exhausting, but well, yeah. well worth it. Oh, dude, I know. Um, the bulk of the writing's done. Like now, it's time to. <laughs> actually go back in and, and storyboard and make sure things where, where it's, it's to make it, it's so. make it linear. That's the way I keep Fuck describing it, yeah. making it linear. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you want to, you want to block yeah. that all down to where it's in a consumable timeline that people can exactly. actually fucking yeah. follow. But the, I mean, the, uh, the goal is to, you know, is and ha- has been, um, to turn this into a publishing company. So, 
Yeah, I think we we talked about that on the Black Coffee response. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's it's been it's been a long. But now time you have old. renewed purpose. Uh, yeah, and yeah. now now that we are uh, are starting to to get those things in line, uh, we're gonna come out with uh, with a couple pieces of merchandise just so um, people can you know have something to buy. Um, you know, pe- people people have been asking us about t-shirts. People have been asking about hats and stuff and coffee mugs. Um, and, you know, people continue to ask us about the coffee mugs after we change the name. So <laughs> obviously there's some sort of interest. So, uh, I gotta say though, I love, I love the new logo. I really like it. I love the minimalist style that you have. Um, when I did my, my first Homeward Bound logo, I did on Photoshop and you can clearly tell that I did it on Photoshop. So like, I, I think that the best thing for companies to do now is to go more oh, man, absolutely. Style. And what, what's been nice about and, the whole process of what we're doing is we're keeping everything better known and operated for the most part, you know. So Keith and I mm. obviously have been doing all this. That's awesome. All the logos that we have are from one of my best friends in the military who I deployed with. And he's a graphic designer out in San Diego right now. So he designed it all for us. Uh yeah, does he like he motorcycles? Likes everything, but he's really into that minimalist thing. So talk, I can. <laughs> so if you, if you want something minimalist with motorcycles and like a sunset or something, fuck I yeah, come he can on, hook you up. Yeah, yeah. And so and then within that, yeah. the merchandise is going to go with uh, Ink and Bros, which is a, a veteran-owned printing company. Yeah, yeah Nate. Nate. So the, and he's been guy. helping us out a ton. So shout out to him. And so. Uh, Again, the whole we, we've been lucky to be, yeah, we've been lucky to to be exposed and you know to know people who who can fill those gaps. Um, because like, Dude, I'm telling well, I mean, that's the thing though is that like you know as a veteran owned business, like you're not always going to be able to find someone who is veteran owned. Yeah. And yeah, to add to that, just because someone's veteran owned doesn't mean that you want to go with them. <laughs> should go with them. Um, you know, I, I've seen I've seen a whole bunch of if you, if you just search the hashtag veteran owned and operated on Instagram, like you can go through some stuff and like, you know, sorry guys, but like you're you're not cutting it, and you know either either you you have a an idea for a business in a market that's totally saturated, um, you know, no offense because Boondocker is a t-shirt company. Uh, <laughs> it is indeed, but obviously no, you guys I mean, have, have different things going and you have different experiences, whatever I'm talking about, like the very basic design and guys expecting to, like, to turn it into like a five figure salary for themselves. Yeah. Like a veteran owned coffee. Yeah. Company. Um, you know, and there's not, still not a whole lot of those, but it's just like, you know, Everybody oh, can make those. Everybody can make five fifty cord bracelets. Like it's you know <laughs> oh, yeah. how, how many American flag how, wooden. How many of these can we have on the market without you know crashing something? Let's get honest. Let's tactical diaper. Yeah. You can, yeah. Let us know how that one goes for you. <laughs> Fuck no. So hell no. Yeah, I mean it's um, um, you know it's it's great when when we can find someone that is uh is veteran owned for whatever purpose we need them for um but that's never going to limit us in terms of like whatever move we need to make uh if we can't find somebody that's veteran owned that is doing their job well and is someone we would go with otherwise then it's not going to happen um, but to go to kind but of obviously also, obviously uh... if the opportunity is there that's always going to happen 
to kind of hit on the the, oh, yeah. the book thing of making them cool again, we have a couple ideas. Um, they're very, very new ideas. We're not going to get into them too much, but just like coffee table uh, <laughs> books, so quick reads, stuff with just photography in it and maybe short narratives, uh, just something that people can look up, pick up and look at simply just for like eye candy in some sorts, you know, like it just, just something to flip through, oh, yeah. something materialistic where you can pick that up rather than your phone. Or if you're sitting at your house, you can do something quick read, like some kind of story on a veteran or some sort, or, or have a veteran come to us and share their story and we help share it in some sense, you know? So we're okay kind of being that middleman if, if possible. Yeah. Like, uh, like ghost exactly. type stuff yep. too. Um, yeah, and I got I got a few ideas we can we can talk about after this because we don't want to exactly. share all of our secrets. Um, yeah, and you know, Keith, I think I think you make a very good point about the the better known versus you know quality that you get in return. I think the the coolest meeting I've had since I've been down in Texas was at Elm Street uh, Elm Street Fest a couple of weeks mm. ago. Um, it was really a chance thing because I'd been sharing some emails back and forth with uh, the folks over at Sailor Jerry. And we'd, we'd been meaning to put something on the books. I know Homeward Bound podcast, Sailor Jerry, it's just got to go together. But yeah, I mean, they ended up having the event uh, down on Elm Street and it just, it worked out like that. I did a podcast with Ashley. It was, it was like super fucking rad. We did it in um, the podcast. I mean, in a small fucking Airstream camper and it was super cool. But then after that, we did a meeting, and I actually met a dude named Aaron Fennin. You guys hopefully listened to my podcast, the last one I did. Um, and we we just started talking, like, you know, what am I doing other than podcasting? We talked about Boondocker. That's what led to the hat talk. And, like, I met so many cool people that just weren't even veterans, weren't even in our community at all but they still do like high quality shit and they're rad people to work with. And I, mm. I just had such a good time and the, they just weren't even vets. And I think now that I've been out for more than five minutes, you know, it's, I'm starting to see the benefits of, of interacting with, with more civilians as I go on. I Marshall and I don't really take the hardline stance on better known. No, man, like you know, that, that black Panther, Fred Hampton shit isn't going to work. Like, um, you know, yeah. when when you're talking about, um, I hope nobody takes that the wrong way. I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just a correlation. Like you know, when when you you just push your own culture or or whatever whatever affiliation you are, uh, you know, you push that and and nothing else. Like you're not going to coexist with anyone. Well, yeah, else. that's the thing. Is the civilians so, are going to be our consumers too? You know? Yeah. Exactly, and if you if you talk to Aaron or Brent over at Softlead, or if you talk to uh, Matt over at Condition One or Tommy, probably the last thing they would want to tell you is that they're veteran-owned and operated. And when Marshall and I sat down to really talk Boondocker and, and see what our values were as a company, probably at the very fucking bottom of our pecking order was, you know, coming out right out the gate and being like putting that stupid fucking military style lettering veteran owned and operated stamp at the top of our mm. page. Like it's, it's not a priority. We want to, we want to promote motorcycle culture and we want to promote like getting out on the road, putting in a hard day's work, you know, just spending time with your family, getting out with, with your boys and having a good time. Like, right on. And, 
and we do the same thing. Well, we, I do the same thing with my podcast. Now I've started to take more departures from interviewing specifically veteran owned companies. Not that there's anything wrong with veteran owned companies or, or veterans doing great things, but like at the end of the day, I'm just, uh, a catalyst for telling a story. And I love to, to hear people's stories and to have a great conversation. Aaron and I, before we even sat down to record, had like an hour and a half dinner. And if that tells you anything, our episode was 45 minutes. We had, you know, double the time to just sit there and talk about life before the episode. I think some of the best stuff that we covered wasn't even yep. recorded. And that just goes to show that, you know, since I've had some time to meet new people and experience different, different cultures. And as you guys would put it, countercultures, I've, I think I've, I've become more aware that we don't even have to confine ourselves in these little neat boxes of, you know, this is a civilian population. This is a, the veteran population. This is the active duty. This population. Is the, that's where that whole dysfunctional veteran shit comes in. And like, uh, oh, you know, we're, we're not going to get anywhere. single, Every single affliction T-shirt wearing, don't light fireworks next to my front door. I want to punch in the fucking yeah. throat. Look, if uh, and and one of my buddies put it the best way that it's not that people come home and they're they're stressed about fireworks. They're they're stressed about upkeeping an image that they were you know this this godly type figure because you've seen fucking the long road home and, and, and all these other like fucking seal team 17 movies or whatever. And they, they want to upkeep this image. Like I'm a dysfunctional veteran, respect me, thank me for my service. Like fuck off, dude. Like we all did the same shit. Okay. We all know what you did. You sat there like a little fucking fobbit didn't even leave. And now you're home and talking about I need to open carry wherever I go. I don't know. You know, just in I mean, case some there, shit pops there are like, there are people who who had different experiences, right? But the I think the yeah, the course. takeaway is that it doesn't really matter what you did. Everybody did something it different, doesn't. right? Not everybody sat on a fob. You know, some some people had more more blood on their hands, more more dirt on their on their uniforms than others. But the the takeaway yeah. is that. It doesn't matter. No. The reason that you did what you did is so that other people wouldn't have to do it. And you definitely didn't do it for some sort of recognition or for the right to tell others how to live. That that defeats the purpose of the Constitution. So just just get the <laughs> fuck out of here with it. It, it doesn't. You just got me pumped yeah, up. Yeah, we could. <clears throat> Dude, we could we could go on a whole other tangent about just people it was funny i was um i was reading an article by some like female e9 master chief retired talking about whenever whenever she goes out in public or she parks in one of the veteran parking spots like have you guys seen those Mm -hmm. veteran parking spots whenever she parks in one of those i guess like people yell at her and be like you're not a veteran like like okay whatever but the the fact that she even like goes has to go out and be like she was also talking about you know having people thank her husband for her service and she got offended by it and like 
most of the time it's a simple miscommunication like oh hey well i'm the veteran Uh, whatever but like the fact that i don't even use a veteran parking spot i i live in canada so we don't have them anyway (laughs) yeah exactly i haven't i don't go get my free fucking whatever at denny's on veterans like i've I didn't volunteer for any of that shit and I could care less if it existed or didn't. And that's my personal preference. Some people like it. Some people don't, whatever. But if all people are going to do is join and complain when they don't get benefits like mm. those, it it's an empty commitment. On oh, for sure. In my opinion, again, it's, it's an all volunteer service unless you're trying to avoid jail time, which it's kind of volunteer, but it's kind of not. But like, I, I've just been of the mind like, okay, well I volunteered 10 years ago. I, I dedicated this much time. I'm done with it. You know, I'm cool. I just want to live my life. I want to hang out with my dudes and just have a good time. Now I don't need a, a veteran parking spot. I don't need you to thank me for my service, but I'll appreciate it. If you do whatever, so many people get up in arms about these things that are just so inconsequential in the end that it just becomes, for us, it becomes white static noise in our brain and it just fucking hurts. Like you've seen every softly team room post or, or every, you know, veteran owned page meme post or whatever. And we're all just so numb to people bitching about thank you for your service or what's the next tactical page to pop up or blah, blah, blah. It's we're living in an age that is becoming more and more dominated by a veteran market. And in our opinion, it's becoming oversaturated and we're just having so much fucking data dump in our brains that my eyes just glaze over and roll back into my head. I, I just, well, the whole thing that it, it, that I'm starting to see, is just the balance between humility and pride. Some people like it's okay I'm to be proud of to what see you a done. Lack of humility. Well, that's what I'm saying. Mm. Is that's that's what you got to do is be able to find that balance because I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with being proud of what you've done, and that's the reason what would help build your confidence to become the man who you are today. And if people ask, I I'm kind of against people being like, eh, whatever, and like blow it off and not tell their story because when someone asks me about my service, I'm more than proud to tell them like, hey, yeah. I served with the 173rd. I was a medic. I did this, this, and this, you know, and it's just the people are curious, and that's the only way that, that they close the gap between civilians and veterans is if they see that, hey, we're the same one in one. What I've experienced, what you've experienced can somehow translate within one another, then I think that that's oh, just yeah. a, step, like, a step in the right direction, you know, and so, but at the same time, yeah, be humble enough to know, like, I served, I did it because. I filled out of college and I was living with my grandparents and I wanted <laughs> and I, and and I, I wanted, wanted out and I so wanted fast. out of that, you know, so I didn't do it for some more God and country kind of service, you know, it was, uh, this, that has to be better than what I'm doing right now, you know? And then I just was fortunate throughout my career, you know? So it, it's, you got to kind of know where you, who you were beforehand and then let the military shape you from that, but don't let the military completely make your identity, you know? Yeah. Um, you guys, you guys want to hear a cool story before this is over? Um, so before I joined and, and this will, this will kind of probably shape where I'm, where I'm at now, but 
I I didn't join because I had any delusions of grandeur or, you know, I have some American flag tattooed across my chest or a 14-foot flag hanging in my garage. <laughs> okay. Um, but Go on. I was... <laughs> I was in my senior year of high school and I was actually, I was big into music. I took every music class that my high school offered. I, I had taken like some college level music theory and I was actually going to go to college to be a composer and do classical music and uh, movie scoring before like about a week before my first college visit, my grandfather died and my brother was already on active duty. My brother's still, in the Navy. He's a E seven, but, uh, Oh yeah. Grand- I saw you guys picture. He's so much better and better looking than you. And he's taller too. I don't it, get it. <laughs> I always told everyone I had a face made for radio. Um, when, <laughs> when my grandfather died, it, it had a really big effect on my dad. And my dad was supposed to take me on that college trip. And we, at the time relationship and that was supposed to be like a a bonding point for us that just never happened Mm. and i was so angry at my dad for for spurning me and i didn't i wasn't open enough to to see that he was hurting so bad from losing his dad that the next week i was in the navy recruiting office and i was like put me on the first fucking job that gets me out of here after i graduate wow and yeah and I I followed that anger through for ten years. I chased it. Uh, I ran away from my parents. I ran away from every meaningful relationship I had back home. And I did a lot of destructive things in my life personally that, thankfully, didn't have any reflection on, you know, my career at the time. But I went from loving everything about playing music, writing music being about it to just being so filled with anger that that's what motivated my service. And in the latter part, after my wife got sick, I just realized how much I had hurt so many people and had alienated so many people, especially my parents that I was like, I just, I want to get out and I want to do something positive. And, and I, I don't want to spend the second half of my life being as angry as I was in the first part of my life. Mm. So that, that really, you know, spurred that journey to number one, finding who I was as a person and and finding what my mission was in life. And apparently that's to talk to people. I don't know why, but that's, that's my mission. Cause I can tell you, I tried to sit down and write music after I got out and it looks all kinds of shitty. So <laughs> it, I found that talking through people was almost a, a baptism in, in a new way of life for me. I'm trying to use that to, number one, tell other people's stories because I'm a storyteller. But number two, because I want people to not feel the kind of resentment and anger that I felt towards my parents or towards my family or towards myself. You know, I mean, and it's led me to some great relationships with you guys and, and everybody else I've met so far on this journey. So uh, that's probably the most honest I've ever been in a podcast, and it's probably a lot to do with the copious amounts of whiskey I've had. So just no, take man, that with a grain of salt. So, no, that was awesome. Yeah. 
Well, like like you were saying, it just it's shaped you who you are today, and it sounds like you found yourself within the podcast, you know? Yeah. I've actually I've never talked about that, but that's crazy. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's my life. It's awesome, God man. Damn it. <laughs> No, that's heavy, man. That's what that's what all this is for. Is it not? You're on the other end of it now, and you're typically asking the questions. And yeah, it's, and it's one, not fun. One one of the one of the benefits from us, and what typically is for you is, we don't have to talk half the time. The person who we're interviewing <laughs> does all the talking, and then some people are just uncomfortable with silence at times, so they just keep kind of going, and then they either just oh, dude. circle around, or you can get them to open up more <laughs> than they ever have. So. It's, so that that middle part of the show where I didn't have to talk at all was super nice. So now I'm paying for it. <laughs> so. Right on. Um, well, yeah, I think that wraps us but, up pretty good and everything. Is there anything you want to uh, plug here at the end or shout out and tell people where they can find you? Oh, God. Um, so where can they not find me? Um, let's see. I got I got Instagram, Facebook, and websites. So, like, if they want to check out Homer Bound, the podcast, they can go to Homer Bound Podcast on Instagram. I rarely use Twitter. I just use it to, like, copy everything I do on Instagram. Uh, almost the same way for Facebook. They can go to facebook.com uh, forward slash Homer Bound Podcast, I think. And uh, <laughs> I don't remember. There's so many different That's all right. Websites. We'll, 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 put find, links in we'll there. find it for you and put it in Yeah, the you'll find it for me. Why should I talk about it if you're going to put it in there but uh no for for real though um boondocker supply co is our baby marshall's and and my baby from our marriage (laughs) so go to instagram and check us out we are really super fledgling so it's uh at boondocker supply co we interact with anybody who shoots us a message or leaves us a comment we really appreciate it and if you guys have any content, if you get a shirt, please send us a picture. We'll feature it up on our page. Same way with facebook.com forward slash Boondocker Supply Co. We have some shirts that you can buy. Uh, we have some shirts that you can wear, and they're comfy as fuck because they're from our friends over at Ink and Bros. Excellent. Uh, we're, we're working on hats with Aaron and Oliver. Those should be coming sometime soon, hopefully. Fingers crossed. And... I don't know. I hope to be more regular on on other people's stuff because I enjoy this side of it. Yeah, it's Absolutely, it, man. Sweet fellas. I hope that this was not insanely awkward. Oh, um, man, that was good. Bye, Felicia. Yeah, no, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for coming on. We'll uh, we'll do another episode with you, March soon. Yeah, dude. Sounds awesome. Cool. Uh, the biggest, I, I think, the biggest misperception is that somehow we're damning. Nothing, nothing really can stop us.